Hello, everybody. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is Thursday, July 26th, and I've got one interview for you uh, for this show. It turned out to be a longer one than I expected it to be. I sat down and had a, a fairly long conversation with T-Rex, Tony Chohan. We talked about One Pocket. Uh, he had some interesting ideas as far as professional pool and the direction that he thinks it's going and should go. Before we get on to that conversation, though, we've got the news. The West Coast Swing ended, uh, ironically, in my own backyard. Uh, Dennis Orcoyo defeated Josh Roberts in the One Pocket event, and Warren Kiamko defeated Omar Al-Shaheen in the Ten Ball event. It was great to have a chance to see all of the top players at Freezer's Ice House, and the local players and the local fans really came out to support the event in a big way. The place emptied out pretty quick after the 10-ball event finished, but there was still quite a few top players left in the room all night and, my understanding, most of the morning uh, looking for action, uh, maybe looking at that last opportunity before the West Coast Swing called it a year. Saw a couple of local players jump up and, and get big spots to play the pros, so that was always fun to watch. In other news, in Japan, Lee Van Corteza defeated Nayuki Oi in the finals of the Japan Open. The win was worth just over 10000 for Van Corteza. In the ladies' event, Zhu Ting Kuo beat Akimi Kajitani in the finals. We don't know much about Kuo. Uh, she kind of came out of nowhere. We don't have much as far as major wins or, or even major finishes uh, on AZ Billiards in her records. Last year, she finished 25th at the Amway Cup. This year, she finished in 5th, so I realize that's a very small amount of information, but apparently she looks to be a player who's on the rise. Back in the States, after the top pros finished the West Coast Swing, they moved on to Vegas, as the West Coast Swing is a prelude to that. Uh, the U.S. Open 10-ball and U.S. Open 8-ball titles were played at Griff's in Vegas. In the 10-ball... Shane Van Boning defeated Alex Pagulayan in the finals. The win was Shane's fourth U.S. Open 10-ball title and third year in a row that he's won that title. He wasn't done, though. Just like he did two years ago, he came back and won the U.S. Open 8-ball title with another win over Alex Pagulayan in the finals. Coincidentally, these two players also played each other in the finals last year with Alex getting the better of Shane. This year, Shane got the win. It's the third time in his career he's won it. It's the second time in his career that he's won both titles over the same uh, period of time. And what's really interesting is Shane now owns the U.S. Open 8-ball, 10-ball, 1-pocket, and straight pool crowns. I wasn't even aware of that until I saw a post on Reddit that pointed it out. It's truly a shame that there won't be a a true U.S. Open 9-ball event this year, as that would have been a huge sweep for him to accomplish, and I imagine it would have really driven him to bring his absolute A-game to the U.S. Open, as if he needs a reason to do that to begin with. The other big event going on, and it's still going on right now, is the Dynamic Billiard European Pool Championships. It's in the Netherlands right now. They play five disciplines over a number of different divisions with men and women and juniors and wheelchair and teams. This is the big one for Europe. 
The players come out in droves. There is no prize money. It's more they play for their federation. They get invited by their federation. And some of them have their entries in and expenses paid for by their federation. But as has been pointed out on the forums, it would be interesting to see somebody try to put on a tournament like this in the States and, and tell the top pros that they're playing for no prize money. They're paying entry fees, but getting no prize money. As this event is still going on, you can go to http colon slash slash europeanpoolchampionships.eu. There is bracket coverage, real-time scoring, gobs of, of outstanding photos. Kazoom has got a camera on all 60 tables, so you can follow whichever table you want at whatever time. Now, the Kazoom, I believe you have to pay for, for that coverage, but still, you, you've never even seen coverage like that of a tournament in the States. So, if you're just listening to this now, go on and check it out, europeanpoolchampionships.eu. Let's move on to the conversation with Tony. Uh, again, it was it was kind of a long conversation, and he's got some opinions there at the end of it that I don't really agree with, but I respect that those are his opinions, and you can't say anything negative about that. I do want to apologize ahead of time. You're going to hear me refer to Eklant Kachi running a 10-pack in the 10-ball event at Freezers during the interview with Tony. Eklant ran an 8-pack. He did not win a t- run a 10-pack. They were only races to eight. Apparently the 10 ball and 10 pack somehow got mixed up in my mind and and that's what came out when I was doing the interview. On the other hand, if they'd been racing to a higher number than eight, who knows, Eklund might have ran a 20 pack. You never know. Either way, here you go. Here's the conversation that I had with Tony Chohan. And I'm very proud to be joined today by T-Rex, Tony Chohan. Tony, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you for having me. Are you uh, are you playing a tournament this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I have nothing going on. I'm just back home in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and just kind of uh, waiting on stuff to happen as far as getting my clothing line, all the new clothes coming in this week. So I want to start getting orders handed out and everything else. For listeners who aren't familiar with the clothing line, can you tell them a little something about it? Yeah, the clothing line, my clothing line name is Game Tight Apparel, and we have Game Tight Gear, Game Tight Squad, Game Tight, you know, all, all different types. It's just Game Tight was what we went around because I wanted every, it kind of goes along with every facet of any sports, you know, trying to be the best at whatever you do, whether it be your job or whatever else. So it's just kind of one of those slang words that we use and, I just figured that was a good word, you know, I, you know, you got all these other companies out there and, you know, I figured something different besides what everybody else has always seen. And for, for people who are inter- interested in the line, where can they find information about it online? So on Facebook, uh, they can always message me and I can always send them a screenshot of all the different types of clothing that I offer. Also, I have a Game Tight Apparel page that I on Facebook that they can also look at, and there will be some of the logos on there. But most of the orders will go through me, so by messaging me, I can always take care of all orders. 
you had spent some time, what, maybe a year or two ago, you were working on a tour. What happened with that? So we did the tour and I started it for the simple fact that I wanted to see how productive it could have been. So we started off and I had six events for 5,000 added each event. Well, we made it through the first three. The first one was good. It, it got about, I want to say about 60 players. Second one was about 40. And the third one was like 33. And the reason being the third one, we had really bad weather up there in Wisconsin at the time. Just happened to be that weekend. There was a really bad blizzard, but each event was 5,000 added. And, you know, everything went well. I mean, all money was paid back. You know, it was $125 entry fee. I did a point system. I kind of just did it to try to, you know, spark pool. You know, everybody was going to the bar table. So we did a 5,000 added bar table event at every stop, you know, and it just kind of, it didn't look like it was going to pick up steam and we couldn't get people entering. So I kind of just halfway through, I paid off the point system and I paid off, uh, you know, everybody got paid from each event, you know, all money was guaranteed. Didn't matter how many people would show up. And the fact that we were able to guarantee it, you know, and then still not get at least 64 players kind of just, you know, didn't make sense. So without the support of the players, I kind of made the decision to just fall back on that event, on that tour. You know, I was thinking that we were going to be able to get more uh, league players or people that like playing on bar tables to play in the events. And it just so happened that it didn't happen. So kind of just detoured from that. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the bar players not participating in the event. Does it seem to you like there's a certain amount of added money that when you get up into that into that area, the players at that level know that it's going to be top players who are coming out and trying to, to win the tournament so they don't enter? You know, I wonder if a 2000 or a $2,500 added event would have gotten more of the amateurs. And you know what? And that's almost crazy because it's like you wouldn't think like you would think because I'm adding more money and it's guaranteed added and everything is cut dry. It was one hundred and twenty five dollars uh, entry. Twenty five was going to be green fee. So even if I got 100 players, even though the green fee was like the only way that I was making any money to get to the events and everything else, all money was coming from the pool room owners. It's hard enough for these pool room owners to justify adding a lot of money. And then when you finally do get them to add a lot of money and then not get the participation, it, it kind of just, you know, it's kind of a slap in the face, you know, it's like, you know, and I even try to put it in six different areas of the, of the East Eastern coast, you know, uh, from the Midwest over, I tried to put it in six different areas where people could drive to, you know, so everybody could get to one event, you know, and it just didn't happen to work out, which is, that's what really made me baffled. I mean, cause I had an event in Cincinnati, I had an event in Memphis, I had an event in Wisconsin, I kind of spread it out and then, you know, we had three more planned and I, after the first three, I didn't want to cost no more. I mean, it wasn't that the, like the first event, the guy made money or he broke even, you know, second event, uh, probably they lost a little bit. Third event, you know, he lost a little bit. I, I didn't feel right about that. I'm not looking to make them take a, a full hit, you know, as far as participation. So, I mean, if I, so if I add a thousand or 2000, should that make more people show up? I wouldn't think so. I mean, you know, I mean, I would, figure, I would figure that, you know, more money added and more money being paid out, you would want more people would want to show up. 
But I guess if they figure that, hey, well, if you only had a thousand, then nobody good's going to play. No, there's always going to be somebody that's going to be good that's always going to show up, and they're going to get to the towards the top. But people have to understand, you know, in the heyday, you had to be a good player and you had to play. You know, you had to, sh- you had to, you know, you don't get good by playing bad players. I don't practice because it makes me worse. As bad as that sounds, I don't practice playing pool. Only time I get practice is if I'm gambling somebody. I mean, I might be a rare breed as far as that comes. Yeah, I'll hit a few balls, but I can't sit there and practice all the time because practicing makes me pick up bad habits. I've I've seen that, you know, or it doesn't make me take something serious. Or if I miss a ball, guess what happens? There's no punishment, you know. So it's one of those things. That's interesting. You know, I've I've thought for a long time that handicap systems and pool, while they're great for the owners and they're great for uh, the players as far as giving them events they can play in, it certainly doesn't do anything for the level of players. You know, they they don't get better playing in handicapped events. No, I mean, here's the difference. I mean, if you go to any pool room across America, this is something that has been seen. And I have, I don't even have to tell people. I mean, people see it themselves and they're the ones that bring it to my attention, even though I've always seen it in my eyes, but I don't call it out because I'm, I'm not looking to downplay nobody, you know, but if you see, you know, if you see anybody, like if you go into your neighborhood pool room, right, how many times do you see a 40 to 60 year old and, uh, individual that's always in the pool room that's been playing probably since they were 21 or whatever, but they never got no better. They keep banging balls for five, six hours a day, every day. But I mean, I understand some people take it, uh, as a, you know, as a hobby and, and that's fine, but don't under, but also understand the reasoning of why you're not getting better also. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, any interview with you has got to talk about one pocket. Um, you know, that's that's the game that you're most known for. Um, a couple weeks ago when, when we had the, the one pocket event at Freezers, there were people asking, yeah. you know, well, who's, who's the top one pocket player? And I think pretty much it was agreed that there's you, Dennis, and Alex as the top three, and then everybody below that. Would you agree yeah. with that? I have to say that's probably true. I mean, more or less, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a few other players that are going to come in and, and beat us here and there in some tournaments. But if we're to play long set or whatever, yeah, it's it's going to come down to us three, more or less, for the moment, you know, unless somebody else starts to play a little bit better or, or we're not playing as well that day, then, you know, so be it. And you play rotation games well. You play all the games well, but one pocket seems to be your specialty. Have you always leaned towards one pocket? Well, here's the thing. Like, you know, in this day and age, and and for the game itself in general, if I have to bet my money, I'm not going to bet it playing a game where it comes down to a break or, or the way somebody racks, you know, or you know, there's too many luck factors when it comes down to the rotation pool, more or less. I just don't have the respect for, for rotation pool as I do for one pocket because in one pocket, there's one million shots for every shot. There's no right or wrong shot, more or less. 
It's just a matter of how you shoot it, right? Well, in rotation, it comes down pretty much to be, you know, cut and dry. You're going to do, there's probably only five or six different options as far as playing shape, honestly. So it's like I almost don't have respect for the game. If I had a little more respect for the game, I'd probably play it a little bit better, you know, but I just, it's not one of those games that, you know, I, I can get to gamble at all the time or play people at, you know, or get competition as much because this day and age, a lot of people just, you know, it's more of a, it just comes down to a break. And I hate the fact that the whole game is because there's probably a thousand people that can run out after the break, you know, it's, it really just comes down to the break these days, you know, and, and rack maneuvering and everything else like that. You mentioned how many different options there are for any particular shot in one pocket. It seems like the game is being played different than it was a few years ago. Um, there's a lot more offense involved. And and it's funny the number of times you see two big one-pocket players play, and whoever doesn't win the match... Their followers on Facebook are saying, well, you know, that's okay because your opponent took on shots that they should have never taken on, and that's how they won. Do you think the game has changed over the last couple of years? Well, the game changed for the simple fact that everything's, you know, when you play when you play at a top level and you're playing other good players, you have to play offense and defense at the same time. And the reason being is because if you, if you give up, and you're, if you're always on the defensive, as a good player, the other good players should see that you're on the defensive and just keep playing offensive. You see, I mean, it's a two-way street. It's like, uh, I mean, in chess, it's the same, you know, thing, right? You know, in chess, if you just keep trying to just barricade your area, well, somebody else is being able to make a move that's going to play into their positioning to get to your king. Well, in one pocket, well, if I just keep playing defensive and the guy keeps getting a, a little bit of air, he can keep playing offensive and defense at the same time, which makes it hard for, you know, the individual that's on the receiving end to win. So what I'm more or less what I'm trying to say is, is people are getting to see more one pocket these days, and they and they and they like the aggression. So me being the way I play one pocket. I've had so many compliments and I, and I love that, you know what I mean? But I'm not a big headed person and I understand. I, I just, cr I create shots because I see things. Most people see them. They just don't want to acknowledge it or they don't want to try it, you know, because most people could do the same things, but they just don't want to try it because at the end of the day, if you don't try something, how can you ever get to know how to do it? You know, I, I probably lost a lot of money when I was younger playing, you know, over the years to try to learn all the shots that I do nowadays or or maybe I didn't do them right back then and now I'm able to execute them a little bit better or whatnot. But it's it's more or less, it's, uh, it's natural angles, you know. I mean, everybody knows how to draw their rock using low outside or low inside. You know, all they have to do is start to think about, hey, you know, if I go off this ball with a little bit of low right, what's it going to do to that next ball? It's going to throw it down. It's going to throw it up. Some people don't actually try to think like that, you know, enough. And if they did, they'd probably pick their game up, probably a ball or two also. 
it's making it harder for guys that are at the top tier to give up big spots to lower players too, because all these guys get to see videos of us playing. So they get to use some of the shots. Like I play, you know, I play some people 10, six or something like that. And they're decent and they're pretty good players. And I watch them play. I might beat them the first set. Well, the second set, I ain't got no chance because they're using the same shots I used on them the first set. And I'm like, Oh no, you know, it's too hard, you know? So it's just, it's kind of one of those things, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's trial and error more or less. One pocket really seems from, from my perspective, and I'm far from a one pocket fan, but it really seems to have taken off in the last couple of years. There, there's more, it seems like there's more one pocket tournaments. It certainly seems like there's more one pocket action. Is that the case or am I just not? aware of of how strong the game was you i mean you're definitely spot on i mean here's the thing do you ever get to see people play 100 300 a game uh nine ball no but you can see 100 300 a game one pocket probably all the time you know so you got to play the game where there's money at it you know you you know you can uh, there's so many different ways to stall in one pocket i mean you know that's that's another thing, you know, in hustlers games, you know, you can stall in a way, but you can get caught in the stall playing anything, you know, or I can make a ball off of another ball and you you don't have to beat me still, you know, so you can't really stall in, in certain aspects, you know, but action tournaments, I mean, yeah, there's way more. I mean, there's way more because people want, people like watching creativeness. People like watching people make great shots, you know, or combos, long distance combos, or make a, or make a like a. I mean, when you, if you watch two good chess players play, you have no choice but to love it because you're wondering why they did a certain thing, you know, and you realize why they did certain things after after you watch the next few moves after that shot, and and it's the same thing with one pocket, honestly. Like you were saying, there's there's so much strategy involved in one pocket, and it it seems like it it's played at a whole different level of of intelligence at the table. You know, we've seen we've seen Gabe and we've seen Scott put out instructional DVDs. Is that something you might be interested in doing one day? You know, honestly, I've been thinking about it so much that I I'm just so busy doing the clothes and and doing playing pool and doing other things that I just haven't had the time, but I really want to because so many people always ask me, Hey, how can I watch you, uh, some of your matches? And there's only so many matches on YouTube of me. And, and I'm like, man, I, I'm like, I, I, I wish I could tell you where there is some, I just, there isn't very many out there. Um, you know, people want to watch the matches. I understand, you know, and I, and I wish I could accommodate them. And the only other thing I could do is, is take, uh, you know, it is to put out some, uh, DVD, you know, you know, as Scott did and Gabe did, you know, and because here's the thing, if I did that, I'm going to have to do like a, you know, sit there and play. And, and, and the thing is that I'm, I'm more of a teacher of the game by showing each shot as it comes, you know, like I can't sit there and say, Hey, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. I'm going to show you the right shot that I think is the right shot at the right times for each, each occasion, you know, or how the balls are set up or, you know, there's, like I said, there's so many different variables 
because no one pocket layout's ever probably going to be the same. You know, and it's crazy that more people don't like one pocket because back in the day, everybody loved straight pool, right? Well, one pocket's played like straight pool nowadays. You beat the guy to the shot, then you get a shot to go to the stack and you break it open and that's how you run out. You know, that's, that's what good players will do nowadays playing one pocket. Before, it was just like, you know, tic-tac around the stack, try to put somebody behind the stack. Well, that there's a time and a place for all that, you know, but nowadays you can, you know, you, you get the balls, you know, positioned right to where if you get a shot, well, now you get to go into the stack and you get to start running some balls. And I think that's why a lot of people like seeing, you know, a lot of people nowadays are starting to see that and they like seeing the runouts. They like seeing certain things like that. It sounds like from what you're saying uh, about the DVD idea that maybe you would be best suited for something like what Pat Fleming used to do with AccuStats, where he has the player come back in after a match and commentate on what they were thinking and, and why they chose what they did. Is that something you might do one day? Yeah, that's honestly, that's what I would love to do. I'd like to do that with the Dennis or Colo match that I played the first time. I'd like to do it with the second Dennis or Colo match also, you know, some of those bigger matches that I've been able to play. I'd love to be able to commentate and re reiterate what, why, or why I did certain things or why, I, you know, maybe I felt like the, my opponent's firepower, if I went for this shot, wasn't going to allow me to sell out as many balls. But if I made it, I'd run X amount of shots or I had no other option. You know, sometimes, you know, people always ask me about the, the two rail kick shots to the backside when I played Dennis the first time. And I try to tell him, you know, I, I sure I, I could have moved out of it. Yeah. But then I was just prolonging the fact that he was going to keep putting me on the backside of the stack. And that's why I shot the aggressive shot right out of the gate because either I get there now or I just prolong the agony, you know, of having to always keep on kicking out of a shot or him having a ball in front of his hole and I'm going to have to keep trying to kick it out. You know, there's, I mean, there's reasonings of why I do certain things and people, you know, and there's times that people be like, oh man, why did you go for that stupid shot? You know, this, that, and other. Well, maybe you didn't understand why I did it or when I did it. It's not like every time I shoot a shot, I'm going to make the shot. I'm just shooting the best percentage shot for what I think it is or the way the game's played at that time. Everybody knows, and, and we don't need to get into the details, uh, everybody knows that you, you took a little break from the game. Um, did you play? Did you practice when you were away from the game? So I wasn't able to play as much as I would have liked. There was a little eight-foot table in there. Um, pockets, you know, big pockets. Uh, cloth was ripped up. Uh, Flip-on ferrules, you know, uh, one stick be shared, you know. It, let's just put it this way. I could probably play maybe 15 minutes a, a, a week. And the reason being because everybody else wanted to play they didn't want to watch me run out or something, you know, or, you know, always being able to beat everybody. So I just kind of, I didn't play it as much because as much as I wanted to play at the end of the day, like I said, I didn't really enjoy practicing when I was free. So I didn't want to practice when I was in there either, really, you know, I mean, I was always thinking about the game and I was th always thinking about what's going on and who's winning the events and 
what's happening out there. You know, I'd always think about stuff like that. And I just, I, I couldn't wait to, you know, be able to play. And I was, I couldn't wait to figure out whether or not I was going to be able to play once I got out. So it was just one of those things, you know, I mean, then I can't, you know, day I was free or whatnot. Um, I just, I, you know, I think it was within the first week I got in action. I didn't even practice or nothing. I probably hit about maybe one to two hours worth of balls just to see if I still had it a little bit. And, it was still there. And, uh, Danny Smith was one of the first people I played when I got out and he was the hot thing. And I was like, well, shit, you know, I was like, we might as well take a swing shot, you know, and everybody wanted to watch me play. So some people put up some money and we played a set for 10,000 right out of the gate. And he was giving me, I think 10, eight, the first time or 10, eight, nine, eight. <laughs> and I, ended, I ended up beating him and I beat him like the first four sets or whatever. You know, and we were playing about 10,000 set. And by the time it was all said and done, we were playing dead even, and I was still winning. So it was it was pretty exciting. You know, was, I was glad to be able to, to come back that strong, um, you know, blessed more or less, you know. And uh, I got to say there was like in – that, in that time period, you know, to, to think that I could still – most of the shots that I would shoot, I was still hesitant to shoot because I felt like, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent confident on making any shot. So a lot of times I would avoid taking long shots just because I didn't want to sell out. So I would just make the easy move or try to, you know, try to make an easy move thinking it was the easy move. Then, you know, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't, you know, but it was still, you know, it was one of those things that it took a little time still, but in the process of playing, it made me get better, and I, I liked the fact that I was in action, and it made me bear down and start thinking about pool balls or more or less and all that stuff. You talked about wondering if you'd even be able to play. Is it just that you thought you were lacking the confidence? Well, not, not more. I mean, being away from the game, um, not knowing if my fundamentals would still be right, you know, holding the pool stick or whatnot. Uh, just not knowing if, you know, getting older or whatnot, you know, that, I mean, it wasn't like I was, I'm like, I'm super old or nothing, but it's just, you know, not knowing, you know, it's just thinking, you know, like thinking out loud and thinking the worst and hoping for the best, you know? That makes sense. Um, you talked about Danny Smith. Uh, let's go back to the, you know, the top three one pocket players. <clears throat> Sorry. Right. the top three one-pocket players, and then there being a level of player uh, below that. Who do you think the hot, young, up-and-coming talent is? Uh, I would say it has to be definitely Danny or, or Josh Roberts. Um, um, between Danny, Josh, um, I'll tell you what. I mean, this guy's played the last few tournaments, uh, and, he, and he's just coming out of nowhere. but play i mean from what i have seen is i i don't watch pool that much but from what i've seen from the scores of some of his pool matches they've all been really close against great players which is uh chris robinson and you know which is good you know you need younger players that want to you know they understand there's more money in one pocket than there ever will be playing rotation and the only way you'll ever get real money in rotation is to be at the very very top level you know to be able to, you know, because any given 
tournament, you have to be very, very consistent. You have to be a Shane Van Bone. You have to be a, a Dennis or Cole or, I mean, you look at Dennis. I mean, Dennis's game, I feel like, has fallen off a little bit as far as his rotation game a little bit. Um, I mean, he still plays great. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm going to get up there and play him rotation. But um, I think there's there's so many good players playing rotation. It puts a shame, you know. But when you play good at one pocket, it's like you're a class above anyone else, right? But, you you know, I can beat Shane Van Boning any given day. Now, can Shane beat me any given day playing that same race, playing one pocket? Probably, I mean, he can win. I'm not saying he can't, but he's going to have to play good. He's going to have to play great, you know, because I can put him in bad spots, and I'm always going to have a chance to put him in a bad spot. The only way he's going to beat me is if I put my own self in a bad spot or don't play serious against them. You know, it, it's like, it's like, it's like trying to put Michael Jordan next to a 14 year old kid playing basketball. That's what, that's how I feel like the difference between rotation pool and one pocket. And I'm not saying that the 14 year old couldn't beat Michael a game, but he's going to have to play good. And I'm not saying that guys like, uh, Darren Appleton or Niels Fahan or, or these guys can't beat me playing one pocket, but at the end of the day, the longer we play, I think I would have to come out ahead. But the fact that they have good firepower, they can always win. You know, in rotation games, it seems like the European players have have staked their claim that they're better than the Americans. Do you see a day when that would be the one pocket situation? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I know of, uh, like, Alex Laley over there, he's been teaching a lot of them playing one pocket from what I understand. And, I mean, it'd be great to see them play one pocket and be willing to play like they are willing to play nine ball or ten ball with people, you know. I mean, I, I, I'd love to see that happen, you know. I mean, I'd love to see them say, hey, you know, you can play him. You know, why don't you play him some one pocket? But... uh do I think that they'll ever be on the level as, as far as, I mean, here's the difference. I mean, didn't America dominate them for so many years? Oh, sure. So now it's just role reversal. And the difference is, is I think, I think they're a little more hungrier as far as making money, as far as uh, taking the game more serious and, and probably putting in more time, you know, and they're always in competition, you know, where a lot of the players in America, they're, they're either, you know, they're kind of lollygagging, they're having fun, they're not not caring as much, I think. I mean, like, you know, I, I wish I wish the people, here's the difference, and me included, you know, I, I, I love to gamble every day. I, I get, you know, anybody that knows me real good knows that I love to gamble, and I, and I gamble at a lot of different things. And um, the difference is, is I, I would love to see I, I would love to see every single good American player be able to make a living playing what they like to play. But I'd also like to see them be able to take it serious. But I also understand why they can't take it serious because there's not enough money in the game to, to make a living doing it. 
so they just have fun, whatnot, or they, you know, they might have a party, a drinking night, you know, and stuff like that, which is fine, you know. Every person's allowed to do what they want to do with their life, you know. I'm not knocking nobody for what they do. I just wish that, you know, if you can see cornhole on ESPN, why can't you see pool on ESPN? If somebody can throw a sack full of uh, styrofoam or whatever else is in it, how can somebody not watch somebody with a pool stick, which is just like a golf club on a on a golf course? Why can't somebody see somebody with a pool stick on a pool table earn the kind of money that they earn in these different sports? I mean, look at darts is even probably pays better than probably pool, uh, cornhole, bowling. You know, I mean, I guess it's like it's like with pool, the better you get, the more you're punished. See, like for me, I can't get no action. I can't, I can't even, you know, the only time I look forward to playing pool more or less is when there's a big one-pocket event along with a 10-ball event or something like that. But if there's not a one-pocket event, I don't really care to want to go play in it because I have to, I have to, I don't see them good 10-ball players coming and running to play me in the one-pocket event. So what I look like going and running to play them in the 10-ball event you know, like if it goes hand in hand, I don't mind doing everything. I'm not saying I won't go play ten ten ball event, but it's got to make sense. You know, money wise, everybody's got expenses. Everybody's got to get to this, that, and the other. So at the end of the day, there has to be enough money to be spread out for people to want to take it as serious as they can possibly take it. But what do you think comes first? Do you think the money comes into the game to make the players get serious, or do you think the players have to get serious in order for the money to come to the game? Well, here's the difference. I think that people have been trying to, you know, here's the difference. There's a lot of people in this industry. I mean, there's a lot of people that have made a lot of money out of this industry, whether it be pool sticks, whether it be pool tables. These are the same people that they put, they put, some of these people put on some big events. Some of these people put big events on that have been so successful that they make six figures plus for doing a five to seven day event. I don't knock you for making money. I think every person should make money if they promote something. Right. But you, but at the same time, if, if the people that supported your events to make your event successful, should you not want to give back to them at some point in your life? Like if you're adding a hundred thousand, but you're making a couple hundred thousand, I don't know if that's the truth or not. I'm just saying, but I, you know, it looks to be what it is. Right. And people talk and people understand what numbers end up being. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is if you're adding a hundred thousand and, 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 and all the tournaments are going good and it's staying stagnant and people starting to get burnt out a little bit, what would it take for you to add another 10,000 to each event? So maybe another 30,000 and keep it there for a little bit and then add another, you know, maybe another three, four years down the line, you add another 10,000 to each event on top of that. Well, now you're going to start getting increased numbers and money starts looking better. You know, I mean, here's the thing. It's just like everyday life outside a pool, right? The cost of living keeps going up but what somebody's making on an everyday basis is the same. So I'm starting, I'm trying to figure out if inflation is what it is, how come nobody's making no more money? You know, at the end of the day, I mean, numbers speak volumes. And at the end of the day, 
everybody wants to be rich, but guess what? At some point you need to understand how you got rich. I don't want to throw people underneath the bus and I'm not going to throw names out there. I just want to give out details to what it is. So like I, uh, for me to have pool rooms, you know, and who am I? I'm, I'm just another pool player in the pool community. I want to try to, you know, I want to try to ask some favors from some pool room owners and some of them are on board with me to, to add money to events, but without these pool players being serious and, and that falls back on the pool players. If these pool players aren't serious enough to create like a, a group and, and try to make a head, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's always thinking that somebody's going to take an extra piece of the pie. Well, that is fine if somebody takes an extra piece of the pie, so long as it's not taking too much. If it, if it makes sense for them to organize and band as a group. And if that person is willing to, you know, be at the forefront, whether it's me, whether it's Shane Van Boning, whether it's whoever it is, I don't care. I just want somebody to, to, you know, band together. And and I'll tell you what, Shane Van Boning is a perfect example. I mean, I woof at him all the time. We're friends. I mean, you know, I do it out of, out of character, you know, just because I like to talk smack to people, you know, to try to get some gambling going on action, you know, but he is a prime example that he should use his name and carry his weight to try to create something in America. He, he is, he's got the, he's got the ins and outs of the pool world in his hands. If he really wanted to, I think he could make it happen. I think it just really just takes him. I mean, he's done a lot of smart things with the money he's won from, from his career. And as much as I don't think that he cares he loves the game. He loves traveling. He loves trying to win. I'm not saying he's not trying to, but I think he loves fishing and stuff like that also. Well, at the end of the day, how come you don't just try to band some people together? I think I think a guy like him, everybody will get underneath his umbrella and listen a little bit, especially since I think that he could gain enough money to create his own little tour every year. Do you think an organization like that will ever happen? Do I think so? Probably not. And that's just me being truthful. Because here's the thing. For 20 years, everybody's been doing the same thing, talking about this. I mean, ever since, what, Camel Tour back in the day? Um, you know, once that broke up or whatever, I mean, nobody's ever been banded together, not once, right? So everybody just go to whatever event they want to go to. Um, you know, one event reaps the benefits, one event, you know, gets the losses. At the end of the day, if you don't get 64 people in America willing to start banding together to make a pro tour and be willing to play, there's not much hope. And I mean, I'm, and I'm wanting to, you know, and I'm and I'm still gonna try. You know, we're trying here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I'm with the pool room owner here, Chad Stark, and Dane Miller just opened the pool room too. And we got two pool rooms here that are both willing to add money to to host big events. You know, it's just a matter of can we get player support. And um and at the end of the day, that's what you know. I'm working with Chad Stark right now. I'm trying to do something. It's going to be me personally. You know, he's doing, he's, he's adding the money, but I'm personally trying to ask for favors from players 
to make an invite-only great players event where I would like every single match to be great. You know what I mean? I want every single match to be a good close one or good matchups. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, pick out who I want to play each other, but it'll be 64 great players. Every match should be a good match, you know, and I just, you know, I like to see like a 20,000 added event and I want to see, um, a race to 13 winter breaks. I don't want to see alternate break. Alternate break is the worst thing that ever happened to pool. If people think, listen, when you went to alternate break, did you bring in a lot of softer, uh, lower players into the fields? No, you didn't. So it didn't do nothing. You know, that was their thinking was bring it to alternate break. And now it levels the playing field. Nope, that didn't do it. So at the end of the day, just keep it winter breaks. If, if that, let's just put it this way. It gives a person a reason to get punished or give punishment and jump out ahead, you know, and people that watch pool love seeing it. I mean, when we were just at freezers, I mean, you watch Clinty Casey. I mean, he just he broke and run the set out on Alex Bagulain. I mean, you think that's not good stuff? That's about as good as it gets. And it was on the screen table. I mean, you can't beat it. You know. I mean that, and on a on, and on a tight diamond table. You know, it wasn't that it was like a loose pocket table. That was a tight table. You had to play good shape. You had to, you know, you had to make every shot. You know, and he played perfect. I mean, hands down to the guy. You know, I mean, I'd like to see. You know. I like to see great pool like that. You know, more people want to see it. Look at back in the day when uh, Earl did the challenge over there with CJ's place back in the day with that old thing. And, you know, the, they offered or whatever it was, a quarter of a million or whatever it was. And Earl broke and ran whatever racks, right? 11 racks or whatever it was. You know, they didn't think it could happen or whatnot. That, I mean, that's, you know, that's excitement. You know, those are stories when, when people see it, they don't, they don't forget it, you know. Who remembers somebody breaking and running eight in an alternate break format? Nobody. I bet you there's been a lot of matches that have been alternate break, race to nine, and neither one of them did anything wrong. They broke and ran each time on their serve, but nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah, and and to to go along with what you're saying, more people were talking about the 10 pack that Kachi ran than who won the event. Exactly. I don't even remember who won the event. To tell you the truth. <laughs> I think it was Warren. Keel. You know, oh yeah, it was Warren. Yeah. Now that you say that. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I didn't even care to remember that. You know, I just wanted to remember the fact that I do remember somebody breaking and running eight at the event. So besides working on this tournament that you're, that you're talking about in South Carolina and the clothing line, what else do you have coming up this year? Uh, well, you know, I just actually got invited to an event today uh, that's going to happen in St. Louis at that ballpark village. Ron Sikora, he's uh, doing a big event over there. And I think that's going to be pretty exciting. Um 25,000 added guaranteed. I just found out money's in escrow, $500 entry fee. Doesn't look like nothing's getting taken out of the entry fees. 57,000 total prize purse. I mean, uh, to me, that seems like it's about as good as it gets. We haven't had one of those and I don't know how long. Honestly, I think that's something that could revive pool. If we could get about eight to 10 of those to happen throughout the year, 
you have a pro you have a pro tour right there you know and that's not much money i mean at the end of the day if, if you think about it if if you could get uh let's say how many people are in this billiard industry that are big you know what is it to them to add uh, 10,000 a piece per year. I wouldn't have to say that's too much or, or maybe give 10 to $20,000 in product and make people sell it, you know, to, to get the money added or whatnot, and maybe get some help from maybe pool rooms or whatnot, you know, and there'll be, you know, if somebody's willing to add 10,000, I'm sure you could get a pool room owner to add the other 15, you know, that might happen, you know, but these are all things that have to be done in order to, to move forward. I mean, we have to be realistic with each other. You know, we're not going to get a million dollar added event unless we get outside sponsors. You know, I mean, uh, let's put it this way. Kevin Trudeau tried. I mean, even though, you know, all the, the stuff that happened with the whole situation, he gave it a try and he did pay, you know? So we, I mean, we shouldn't fault him for that. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, there was nobody else that ever came with that much money. You know, nobody else ever added, uh, you know, $3 million prize fund or, or, you know, Hey, last place got $2,000, you know, that never happened, you know, and that, and that was the first guy that was actually going to give us a chance to make golfer type money. You know, do you think that something like the IPT could have succeeded with less prize money? I, Oh yeah, definitely. I think he went too big, too fast, honestly. But the real thing that really messed us up was the fact that poker got online poker got banned. You know, now I just think, cause I mean, here's the difference. There might be a chance for pool to really be revived. And the reason why I say that is, well, the sports betting just got legalized across the country. Well now, you know, you know, for, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, let's just say it's for, okay. So they did the sports betting legalization for casinos across the country. So any casino can take sports bets so long as they get their license or whatever. And now they have that option to do that. So now some of these casinos on the East coast are already starting to take bets, sports bets and all that. Well, who's to say now that online poker doesn't come back. Party poker don't come back. You know, party poker left way back when because they didn't want to go through all the legalizations of of the u.s saying that you're not allowed to play online poker or whatever right well if they legalize sports that means there's a good chance they'll legalize online poker and they've legalized online poker in certain states already they just haven't done it across the country so if that happens well that money that we were getting from the ibt that was coming from party poker that was coming from uh poker stars them big them big uh you know added money you know because they had the revenue they didn't mind it was a more of a way for them to publicize more or advertise i should say well i mean if anybody has the connections to make that happen it's matchroom sport with the u.s open next year well there you go see so and what they're doing i mean you know here's the thing they are the king in pool you know they have the the revenue stream they have the different outlets they have uh a way to make pool bigger. And if it can't get bigger with certain guys like that, I really think that, uh, you know, we all have to look back and, and understand why is it not getting any bigger? 
other than the fact that we're not putting in the fourth effort to try to make it better, you know? So like the U S open next year, it being a $300,000, I don't know if it was added or if it's a total prize fund or whatnot, but everybody and their mother should be there. It should be a, uh, I never went to the Moscone cup. No, don't get me wrong, but it should be that type of, uh, energy, you know, and I'm sure they're going to make it that kind of energy. Well, I definitely think you're you're preaching to the choir on that one. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, listen, we've, we've done, here's the difference. There's guys in this industry that have been, you know, they've been stroking all of our cues for 20 years telling us, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're trying to make it better. We're trying to make it, our, you know, better. I mean, we don't, I mean, you know, I don't want to hear it. It's real easy. You, you know how you can make it bigger. All you have to do is step aside and take a loss one time. You done took losses when you did other events. Take a loss with the same event that you're doing that's been successful. Just add a little bit more money and see what the numbers show. Maybe you'll break even. Maybe you'll make money still. Maybe you might not make as much money as you did. Maybe you might make more. You gambled from the first day that you you started promoting whatever event that I am talking about. Because like I said, I'm not going to call nobody out. But what I will say is, from day one, you, you were going in as a gamble wherever you started your event. Now your event is successful. Now you've made money over the last 10, 15 years. Now you are comfortable in life. Give back to the people that supported you to get you to where you're at. You don't have to do it every year. Do it one year, you know? It doesn't mean it's going to hurt. I think we'd all like to see the game get better for everyone. Um, right. But how that happens, I, I still don't know. I mean, the only honest way, I mean, look at the APA. I mean, here's an industry, you know, they make 20, 25 million a year, let's just say, right? Well, they get 10,000 people going, or maybe more, you know, going to Vegas every year. And I understand they, all those people that play leagues or whatever, they're playing because it's a hobby. It's not their job or whatever, let's just say, right? But okay. is it really your hobby to to let somebody make twenty twenty five million and then you're not making nothing? Like when you go and you win the APA, you broke even because you paid for your trip. That's not right, you know. I mean, like I said, I don't want to. I, I don't want to. You know, here's the difference: if you're making that much money, how hard is it for you to take uh, one million dollars out of twenty five million? per year, let's just say, and it doesn't even have to be that much. It could be a half a million. It could be 300,000. What is it to take that much money out and add it to a pro pro event pro tour, you know, where you do like several tournaments throughout the year. Let's just say you do 50,000 added, uh, eight events for the year. Well, now you give a reason for the people that are playing APA to get better, to go shoot for money like that, you know? You're still going to have your same revenue stream. You're not hurting your revenue stream, but you're giving them a reason they play better. That stops the sandbagging. That stops all that stuff. Now, guess what? Now you can do a $500 entry fee pro event, right? Where, um, or you just do the 400,000 added and, uh, let's just say, you know, last place shows up or whatever, and they get their money back or whatever, you know, 64 players only, you know, or whatnot. There's, I mean, these guys, these guys have made these big businesses. They're smarter than me. They know how to, to figure it out. That I shouldn't have to figure it out for them. You know what I mean? 
So if they want to help the industry and they want to keep pool going and they want to keep it the right way, then they would do the right things and take a step forward and try to, you know, help, you know, if if they take 50 cents out of every $10 that they take in from each player and set it aside, there'd be a lot of money for a pro pro tour, or there'd be a lot of money. You don't even have to do it for the pro tour. Do it for APA then do it for your own league. How come you can't make it to where first place at the APA gets 50,000? How come it's always 10,000? or whatever it is, or 15, or whatever, you know? Well, we could have this conversation all day and not... Right, right. Yeah, we'll never get nowhere. Like I said, it's been a (laughs) 20-year thing, or, you know, I mean, like I said, all I can do is try to do what I can as far as me being trying to self-promote an event that I have my hands into. I mean, you know, I've had, you know, I've had issues with other pro players that have, have done events, and there's one, you know, and that same person that I had an issue with, whether or not I've seen something, you know, and whether or not it's actually happening, I don't know. But if it happens, well, great. You know, I mean, it's getting on, you know, TV. And I'm when I'm talking about TV, it's going to get on national TV. So if that happens from what I've seen, like I said, I'm not going to say a name, but if that happens from what I see, then that person just headed us in the right direction. But I also know, like I said, I have no problem with with any person making money off of their own self-promotion. But you don't have to make a killing. Just make a living, you know? Well, Tony, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know you uh, said you were working on the apparel. Are we going to see you in Virginia at the International Open? So I will be making it to Virginia for the International U.S. Open. I'm hoping that uh, going forward, I know I talked to... uh, Pat, you know, and Pat runs a great production and everything else, you know, real high quality. I'm just hoping that uh, we can hopefully, uh, the payout wise, you know, it being a $1,000 entry fee, you know, everybody pays about probably another $1,000 in expenses to get there. So everybody's stuck about $2,000, let's just say, right? So I'm hoping that going forward, he needs to understand. I think, I think a lot of promoters need to understand that, you know, one person making forty or fifty thousand makes one person happy, or maybe the top four happy, right? But I, I tell you what, at the end of the day, I bet you that if you paid only twenty or twenty-five thousand for first, but you paid down good all the way, would make more people want to play it more often. You understand? And yeah. it makes everybody be able to carry money and still be able to go to the next event, and, and keeps everybody with some money. So my idea is instead of, you know, having to get seventh, eighth to break even or, or ninth through 12th to break even to make a little bit of money, my idea would be here, it's a thousand dollar entry fee. Hey, I get a hundred players. Let's just say, for instance, I'm, I mean, he gets more than a hundred, but I'm just going to say a hundred players, which makes, uh, let's see, a hundred thousand dollars, right? <laughs> 75,000. I think he adds or 50,000. I'm not sure. Let's say 50. Um, Okay, let's just say fifty thousand added. So that's a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the pot. Well, you could pay twenty five thousand for first, second could be twenty thousand, third could be fifteen thousand, fourth could be ten thousand, fifth, sixth could be like eighty five hundred, seventh, eighth could be like sixty five, seven, you know, ninth through twelfth could make like five thousand, let's just say. These are the numbers that make more sense for people to want to come play. You know, you could pay uh 30, uh, let's see, 
25th through 32nd could make 1500 or something, you know, or 2000, let's just say, you know, I mean, I don't know if the numbers work or not, but I'm just saying if you can pay out deeper and a little bit better, and if it has to come off the top end, more people will have respect for it. You know, more people will be willing to play because it don't make sense to make four people happy and a hundred people mad, you know, right? that they went. You know, I mean, everything's got to be cost efficient, right? Because we're not getting paid to play pool. We're getting paid to show up to try to play and to try to win. And we have to use our own money to go to these events. Whether you have a stake course or not, you're using somebody's money to go to the event. You know, you're not just getting a free sponsor and you don't have to make up nothing or whatnot. You know, so at the end of the day, I think that would be the best thing going forward with any pro events you know if you, you know if there's enough money added into the event then you can always pay good up top and it can always pay deep you know i think and it stops people from chopping up you know the finals and stuff like that because it's such a you know makes makes for better you know it just makes it all the way better and there's no reason then you plan more for prestige also that way you know then he just makes a little more sense. Well, it's an interesting idea. Um, I'm sure somebody will, will pass it along to Pat. Like I say, though, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Uh, I appreciate you taking your time today, and I will look forward to seeing you either in Virginia or St. Louis. No, I greatly appreciate you having me, and uh, thank you for all the questions and answers and, you know, and I mean, I greatly hope that, you know, the sport does go in the right direction. I mean, you know, there's definitely some good added money events all throughout the year here and there. And some events are greater than others. And, you know, I, 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 it's not that I don't want to go to every event that I could possibly go to. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think every pro player is the same way. Cost efficiency has to be there. So and the only way to do that is to you know, make for a great tour or, or make great events that pay well and everybody can support it that way. I think at the end of the day, we've got to get the support from the players too, though. You know, well, I can't put it all on the promoters at the end of the day. All right. I will talk to you later, Tony. All right. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Okay, there you go. Tony's definitely got some interesting opinions. I agree with some of them. I don't agree with some of them, but... Again, they are his opinions, and I respect that. I'm not going to keep you much longer this week. I am working on an interview right now with Vivian Villarreal. She's going to be talking about her upcoming event in Atlantic City. And she tells me that she's got some amazing things lined up for that event. So we will be talking to her in the next week or so, and she will be on our next show. Until that next show, thanks for listening, everybody. And Dave, we're thinking about you. Thank you.